Today we're going to be tackling education, uh, which so you, we just read that proverb, and I, I remember looking on the teaching schedule with this, July 16th, today's date, and um, saw that Matt had education, I had my name next to it, and I was like, looked at my overall calendar schedule to see, I was like, okay, this is falling after 40 weeks of seminars and a PhD class. I was like, I don't know, Matt, does this really sound like the best time to have me teach on education? Because I might come back and be like, don't do it, don't go to class, don't go to school, don't do anything. Uh, but I didn't. Um, I, I really enjoyed, enjoyed my week with that, but it has been a really, really good wrestle with education. What does this mean? Uh, it, Honestly, I'm probably, if there's like a spectrum of like education, I feel like I have, I, I'm like from the widest possible spectrum. So we have over here 90% of my family uh, being Amish and not going to high school. And that's awesome and that's great. And then we have over here, it's like currently getting PhD and just getting destroyed and reading a lot of books. And it's like, so who's right? Like, that's kind of the question I wrestle with, is like, just do more school, or is like, no, like, don't, like, stop at eighth grade and go work and do vocation early. Like, that's a wrestle I've even had throughout this, and it's been really good to wrestle with God's word of, like, who is right? Like, is there a right way? Does God call us to a certain amount of education? And the answer is, both are right. The answer is yes to who, who is right, because education actually is, is more meaning like a learning posture. It's not getting a, a piece of paper and having your name on it and saying, hey, here's who I am, here's what I'm doing. It's a, it's a posture that says, I want to learn. So sometimes that will be formal settings like school and going and getting your education. We have a lot of college students here that are doing that currently, which is awesome and which is great. And sometimes that's informal settings. That's learning through books, learning through time with older, wiser people who have been doing this thing, just uh, finding more informal routes to educate yourself to learn. So that's how we're tackling education today is not, hey, you need to go to school, get more college, but in general, having a learner's posture, because I, I can genuinely sit up here and say both are right. There are situations where getting, honestly, I'm, I'm pursuing this because I'm not very smart and I need a structured learning environment. I want to learn how to lead this church better. I think this is really great for going into vocation and learning how to steward your life early and, and going into work alert. Both are right and both have different aspects of God's calling on their life. But how do you have this posture of learning? The target, or if there's a main takeaway that we would have today, it'd be that learning is pivotal to know how to steward your life for the glory of God. Learning is pivotal for knowing how to steward your life for the glory of God. What learning does is it helps us fill in the gaps between what you know and what you don't know in the areas that God has called you to. There are gaps between what you don't know and what you know. And, and in these areas that God has called you to steward, there's these gaps there. And that's where learning comes in to help fill in that gap. It actually it sits behind every single one of these areas we've been talking about this summer with with marriage, with friendships, with relationships, with education today, with vocation next week, with all of these areas, learning a learner's posture sits behind every single one of them. You could say Matt like gave me the most important sermon, actually, I don't know, but that's a sarcasm, they're, they're, just so you know. Because uh, if you're sitting here and you're like, I know everything about marriage, 
I've been doing it for 20 years, I'm good to go. And your posture is not that of learning and I want to fill in the gap, you're not going to take anything away. If you're sitting here and saying, I know everything about friendship, you're not going to fill in the gap. If you're sitting here and saying, I know everything about vocation, you're not going to fill in the gap. Learning undergirds every single one of these areas. And there's a really good quote by a theologian named Abraham Kuyper, and he says, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Every single square inch Christ looks at and says, mine. So education not only informs what we've been talking about this summer, it informs your jobs, it informs your vocation, and it informs plumbing and how to learn how to do that well. It informs construction, knowing how to use your tools well. It informs accounting and using Excel sheets and engineering and using CAD and, and all of these things. It informs every single area because God looks at every single square inch and every single square inch includes what you do nine to five Monday through Friday. And how can we fill in the gaps to do really, really well in those areas too? It's a posture of learning and saying, I want to steward every square inch for the glory of God and the good of others. But at times, we, we don't go into there with that posture. We don't have an every square inch posture because we can compartmentalize our faith. We can compartmentalize, to, okay, I come to Anthem on Sunday morning at 9.15, and then I'll read my Bible a little bit in the morning. I'll pray a little bit, and maybe I'll go to a community group, and then I do this other thing. And then I go to work. Or, and then I do stuff with my family. And then I do this versus God bleeding into every single area. See, when we compartmentalize, it actually leads to complacency in learning and doing these things well. It leads to complacency in wanting to learn how to do these things well. Ephesians 6, though, hits on this. Paul writes, he says, bond servants... Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart. So he's talking about employees here. As you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering, with, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. He's saying every square inch. Serve as you're serving me, not man. Serve your employer as you're serving me, not man. One of the greatest compliments I could ever hear when I was directing SALT was like, hey, if you have any SALT students, send them my way. I love working with SALT students because they're going to come, they're going to work hard, and they're going to do well. Like it, that's like one of the greatest compliments you can receive when it's like, I, I don't really, they don't have to have any education here, but I know they're going to come, and they're going to have a learner's posture, and they're going to know how to do well, and they're going to want to steward this area well. So compartmentalization can lead to complacency in wanting to learn because your, your ceiling is eye service and pleasing your employer rather than pleasing God who gave you the opportunity to do this thing. So my prayers today that these would help us grow in a posture of learning as we steward these areas of our lives. So this is why we're going to look at Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 7. And what you'll notice so this first verse, it says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So it's just setting up. Proverbs, it's a, it's a great book to read through. 31 chapters of just 
just wisdom, honestly. It's just like really, really practical, daily life living things. That's why Solomon wrote this book. In verses 2 through 6, he gives the, he's setting up the purpose of the whole book here in these verses. In verses 2 through 6, he says it's to know wisdom, to know instruction, to understand words of insight, receive instruction in wise dealing, give prudence to the symbol, knowledge, simple, give knowledge and discretion, let them hear, let them learn, let them understand, let them understand, give knowledge. In these verses, he uses a version of wisdom, knowledge, instruction, learning, hearing 15 times in these seven verses. So he's setting up this entire book is to help you learn, to help you get instruction, to help you grow in wisdom. Question, though, what is, like, what is wisdom? What is he talking about here? See, wisdom, as it refers to, it's to mental and physical skills. So there's, there's wisdom of the Lord, wisdom given from God, but he's actually addressing really, really practical things throughout this entire book. So instead of the, the plumbing and the accounting and all of that, he's, he's addressing craftsmen, he's addressing sailors, he's addressing singers, he's addressing people that counsel others, he's addressing people that, that lead, he's addressing people that are doing life daily. A person of wisdom has expertise and has acquired disciplined skill in godly living. They have expertise and they've acquired disciplined skill in godly living. It is, it is knowledge applied. See, knowledge tends to focus on correct understanding the world and yourself, but wisdom is acquiring that skill and applying it in a disciplined way to have a skillful way of living in a godly manner. Again, right here he says, this entire book is for that. That's why I'm going to write 31 chapters here. Solomon, one of the wisest men to ever live, who actually just prayed, like, Lord, give me wisdom. He writes a really, really practical book for us. So who's this book to? Verse 4, he hits it. It says, to give prudence to the simple and knowledge and discretion to the youth. So simple means, here means just like untaught. So I'm trying to give prudence, give wisdom to those who are untaught, to those that just don't know, to those that have a gap between what they don't know and what they do know. He's saying I'm giving this book to try to fill in that gap in the different areas of our life, to those that are just untaught. To do this, we have to have a learner's posture. And he, he, he did skip down to verse 7 there. The end of that, fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools think there is no gap between what they do know and what they don't know. Fools say, I've got this all figured out, and they have a posture not of I want to learn and I need to learn, but they have a posture I've, of I have this figured out. And he says it very clearly here that is a foolish thing to do. That is what defines a fool, is to not have a learning posture. But the, the question, though, is what drives this posture? There's, there's the one aspect that is really important of like, man, I just like want to learn, and like I just need to like learn, and I want to fill in this gap. But then there's the other posture that I think more drives this every square inch aspect. Verse 7. 
It hinges upon all of this. He's talking about wisdom, guidance, understanding, instruction. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fear of God is the first and controlling principle. Your basis for learning and obtaining knowledge start here. He makes it very clear. You want to have this posture, it starts right here. Not just muscling and saying, I want to learn more. Fear of the Lord. What is that, though? The, the fear of the Lord. It's recognizing God's character and responding, revering, trusting, worshiping, and obeying. It, it's a response of awe and trembling because you see who God is in light of who you are. We, we went to Nashville uh, last summer, and one of my favorite things is just like going and watching like cover bands and stuff like that. And Nashville is like the spot to do that, just to walk around downtown, hear all these cover bands. I think part of the reason I really enjoy doing that is because I have zero musical <laughs> talent. I just, I can't sing, I can't drum, I can't other musical things. I don't even know the terms for music things. So I, I, I can't, but I, I love just sitting and watching. And we were in, in this one spot, and this, uh, this lady was playing this, like, electric fiddle. And uh, she was just absolutely shredding it. It was, my wife has a video on her phone. I'm screaming in the background. I'm fangirling. It was, it was awesome. But, like, there was, like, an awe of, like, I can't do that. Like, there is, there is no world, no realm of possibility where I could ever actually learn how to do that. I'm just, I'm not musically kind. I'm not musically talented. And that had to take hours and hours and hours of work and preparation. But you just look and you're just in awe. And you, you guys know those things where you just look and you watch and you're just in awe because it's, you like see yourself in light of that. And you're like, I can't do that. So you take that, but then you look at the holiness of God, and it's a thousand infinitely times more of like, I can't do that. I can't be that. And, and as we look at God, we look at God's glory, we, we recognize what he has done for us, that we are divinely chosen, but we are humanly inadequate to bring anything to the table. And those, that dichotomy right there, divinely chosen, hum, humanly inadequate, it just leads to I can't do anything and in awe and a fear and a trembling and a reverence for God and a praise to him that just bubbles up because you see who God is and you see what we bring to the table. This is where it starts. When you glimpse God's glory. See, God's glory is the way that he puts his holiness on display for people to apprehend. God's glory is his holiness put on display. And as we glimpse God on public display, it drives us to shape our lives in private to steward that glory. As we see his holiness put on display, we just want to get in private and say, I need, to, I need to steward this treasure well. 2 Corinthians talks about how we have this treasure in jars of clay. Like, could he have maybe put it in something a little bit more resilient than a jar of clay? But, but he chose jars of clay, weak vessels to steward his glory. And as we sit in awe and reverence, we look to him. 
there's something really interesting. Luke 2.52, it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. That's not the verse. Um, <laughs> I was like, is the verse up there? Uh, so Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with man. And so there is a part of that. Jesus increased in wisdom. He increased in knowledge. He increased in godly, skillful living. But how did he do that? There's a good quote. Um, I don't know the exact author, but I found online. Talking about Jesus shaping his private life. It says, while history waited, while souls perished and Israel languished under the yoke of Gentile oppression, the Messiah prepared in anonymity. Humanity would have hurried him to his destiny, bypassing a boy's bar mitzvah and leaping over lessons in language and life, not God. For only three years of public ministry, God took 30 years to shape the Messiah's private life. There's an aspect of shaping our private life for the public ministry for God. And, and sorry, I'm, <laughs> uh, there's an aspect of shaping our private life for the public ministry of God. And, and at times, we want to rush this, right? We, we want to say, like, Okay, I need to just go do, go do, which is awesome. And there is an aspect of zeal that is so important, but there is another aspect of shaping our lives in private and in humility and in suffering. Jesus was the most public display of God's glory, holiness, righteousness, love, compassion. And he shaped his life in private, and he did that through suffering and learning as we do. Hebrews 5, 7 and 8, it says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. And it says this, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus was learning obedience in his private life through the suffering, through getting on his face and through loud cries and prayers and petitions, praying that God would mold him and give him wisdom. In that Luke 2.52 passage right before that, Jesus is, is seen as a teenage boy sitting amidst the teachers, and they're in all of the questions he's asking, but he is, he's doing that exactly. He's sitting, asking questions. He's learning. That is an aspect of suffering. Suffer, learning doesn't just come really easily. right? There is an aspect of of we learn a suffering through getting time in private so that we can shape our public ministry for God. And that's not to be rushed. That's not to say you need to sit and get to a good spot before you do anything, but those happen simultaneously. And when we catch a glimpse of God's glory, it drives us to shape our hearts and our minds in private. We, we catch a glimpse of who God is and who we are. And we say, I'm a jar of clay, but I need to learn how to steward this treasure. I want to learn how to steward this treasure. There is such a gap between what I know and what I don't know on how to steward this well. And I need to figure out. I need to learn more so that I can steward these areas of our life for God's glory. 
It drives us to want to steward this gift we have been given. Not for salvation. This is not for salvation, but it's for a right handling of what God has given us. See, no amount of learning or education will make you right before God. What Jesus has done alone makes you right before God. But it is a privilege to plumb into the depth of God's glory, to plumb into the depth of who he is, instead of trying to climb the ladder of righteousness and salvation. And that's what we're called to with this learner's posture, is to learn how to steward. And maybe you're asking here, it's like, I don't really know what areas to, like, what are you referring to exactly? Like, when it's called steward, it's like, okay, I get, like, I need the, this book, this whole book is meant to give wisdom, instruction, learning. It starts with the fear of the Lord. It starts with glimpsing who God is, who I am. But where do I start? Because maybe there's 10 to 15 different things that come to mind. You almost get, like, overwhelmed when you think about it. And that is, like, kind of what happens. Like, man, I am humanly inadequate. I need to grow in this, 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 this. Again, looking back at that quote, Jesus shaped his private life for 30 years for the three years of public ministry. And God is very patient with us, and he gives us time to shape that private life. If you're asking where, I, I think one is just responsibility. If you look at your life and like, what has the Lord given you responsibility over? Maybe that's kids. Maybe that's a spouse you need to love, learn how to love well. Maybe that is school of like you have the privilege of going to a university. Maybe that's work, your vocation. You have the responsibility to steward that well. Maybe that's family, knowing how to love and lead your family well. I'm sure the, the Lord is putting some things in your mind of like, what are responsibilities that you have that the Lord has given? Or maybe even a more pointed question is, what season of life are you entering and asking the question, in what areas do I need to grow? As you, you look at the next season that you're headed, asking what areas do I need to grow, and that kind of leads to like, what book do I take off the shelf? Who do I get time with? What do I need to learn about? Because I don't think the solution is just try to learn everything at once, but to just try to like, Taking these times, like, okay, I need to learn about this. I want to take a month here to learn about this thing. I want to take a month here to learn about this thing. I want to get time with this person to learn here. Where is the Lord giving you responsibility? And maybe that just takes, like, mapping out, honestly, like, your life. And it's like, okay, here's all the areas I have responsibility. I've got a house. I've got, I've got a job. I've got an investment portfolio. I've got those things, and I have responsibility over these things. But I think the other area is the aspect of, like, where is the Lord spiritually gifted you? And so there's a, there's a little chart that I don't think can be on the screen right now. Um, but if you, if you have the y-axis, it would be proficiency. So what, are, what would you say you're proficient in? And then the, the x-axis here is, is passions. So what are you highly proficient in and what are you really passionate about? Some things maybe you're proficient in and you're not passionate about. You're like, hey, I'm really good at Excel. I'm not passionate about that. I know people that are good at Excel and they're passionate about that. And that's good for them. And they do things in that quadrant. But 
Um, <laughs> so, the, the question is, how can we operate in this quadrant? You're going to have to operate in other quadrants at times where it's like high proficiency, low passion, where it's like you just need to do the thing. And other times you're going to operate more low proficiency, low pro- passion, but it's like you just need to do these things. But how can you focus and operate in areas of high proficiency and high passion. And I would say that these areas, oh, it's there, nice. Um, so these areas, the, the desire zone, in front of the AC, the desire zone, how can we operate here? And I would actually say, if you look at like Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, talking about spiritual gifts, I would say this is the zone where the Lord has maybe uniquely gifted you for the church, uniquely gifted you for the kingdom. That like, how can you take these things and apply it within your body, apply it within serving others, apply it within the kingdom? Maybe you're really, really good at administrative stuff, and you're really passionate about it, and you're really actually proficient about with it too. How can you take that and use that for God's glory and for the kingdom? How can you learn how to steward that really, really well? Maybe you're really good at working with your hands. Maybe you're good at leading. And, and how can you take those things and really leverage them for the kingdom? It's really, you, we need to learn about our weaknesses and how to make them less weak. But there is an aspect of taking your strengths and leveraging them, leaning into them and saying, I think the Lord has uniquely gifted me in this way. And I want to pull that lever. And I want to learn how to pull that lever better. And I want to learn how to steward this area really, really well. I would say that that zone one is the Lord has uniquely, every single person in this room, the Lord has uniquely gifted you for God's kingdom in some way. It's different than me. It's different than the person to your right, to your left. And that's the beautiful thing about the body. Ephesians 4, it, it talks about when each joint is working properly, it makes the body grow and it builds itself up. In love. I just love that. You're a joint, I'm a joint, they're a joint. And when all these joints, when this body is working together properly, it builds itself up in love. When you're operating in your passions and proficiency, you're actually helping build up the body of Christ in love. But it does take a posture to ask the question, how can I pull that lever better? Just because you have a strength there doesn't mean you don't have things to learn. It's just saying, and actually learning in these areas is usually a little bit easier. Because like I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about this. I want to learn how to use that better. But that would be the other area is responsibility. What is the Lord giving you responsibility over? And then where is your desire one zone? That passions, proficiencies, or like more spiritual gifting to use for your church, for the kingdom. And then lastly, an area, this has to happen in tandem with spiritual growth and knowledge of God and who he is. Like, that's going to drive every single other area. So you, you want to read books on how to do well in your vocation and also building up the theological. The same. These, these should kind of grow in tandem. I don't think it's one or the other. I think it grows in tandem. It grows both. And, and so one of these ways, Matt's on his study sabbatical right now, and he is getting our like, whole equipping schedule together for the fall and for the spring to have classes to just grow in the knowledge of God, grow in the knowledge of who he is, grow in the knowledge of who we are in light of him. That is such an important part of this is, is those growing 
together. Not saying dismiss your Bible and just read books about engineering or plumbing or construction, but doing those both at the same time. The Lord calls us in the both. The Lord says, know more about me and steward this really, really well. And so growing in tandem with spiritual growth is going to be really, really important so that those things inform our vocation, inform what we're doing, inform our learning. And then just practically how to. So if you, if you have the different areas of responsibility, passions, proficiencies, growing spiritually, getting time in the word consistently, and then how do you do that? One really practical is just taking a book off the shelf and reading. And I, and I would say I, I despise reading. I really do. And for someone in a, in a PhD program, that is absolutely kicking my butt. But it, like, there is this aspect of like suffering and training and discipline to do that. Reading is such a good discipline in general. So you, like, there's the discipline training, but there also is just like, Growing in knowledge and books is one of the best way to do that. And it can kind of seem overwhelming, but I think the biggest thing with consistency or with reading is consistency. And so actually, if you just read like 10 pages a day, 10 pages a day, it actually comes out to about 15 books a year, depending on the length of book. And so there's like, we can overcomplicate it though, and I'd say I need to sit down in this sitting and read this entire book. And some people, they just love, Zach, our salt director, he loves reading. I gave him multiple books over the summer. He's just cranking through them. And I'm like, good for you, man. That is, that is not me. I need to set, I have to schedule it or else I won't do it because it's not my bent. But reading is so important and so good for your mind, but just so important to learn how to steward these different areas of your responsibilities and passions and proficiencies. Online resources, There's, that is like we live in a knowledge age and is one of the biggest blessings to be able to just like find courses online, watch videos, like these different, there's so many online resources. Now you have to kind of comb through and find the right ones, but this bleeds into the next one of like just wise counsel around you that can maybe say like, hey, this is a good book or this is a really good resource. Um, but even more of like almost an apprenticeship that just wants to sit down and get coffee and just learn and say, like, hey, you're an accountant, I'm an accountant, like, how do you, how do, you do this well, or what's this look like? And, and just practically picking people's brains on um, if they're in a vocation that you like, or if you're a young parent and you see families, like, that is a learning posture to see someone that has kids that have been raised up and they're really godly to sit down with them and say, what did you do? Like, that's a learning posture, that's a really, really important part of learning is just getting time with older, wiser people who have been doing it a little bit longer. So again, like how it's like reading, online resources, and then really practically just get time with people who have been doing it. If you're feeling overwhelmed like by this, I, I don't want you to walk out and like, oh my gosh, I have so much to do. I, just taking it in bits and pieces but also understanding like this is coming from a spot of fear of the Lord. And, and the, the whole reason we have fear and awe before God is we see what he has done for us in Christ. That's what drives this entire thing is we look at the glory of God. We look at our human inadequacy. We say, praise God. And praise God. This is such a good gift and I want to steward this really well. And again, we're not trying to 
gain salvation or climb a ladder up to, up to God, but it's a privilege that we get to plunge the depths of how to steward his kingdom, how to steward every square inch. And that's like, that statement is true. God is in nursing. God is in construction. God is in plumbing. God is in accounting. God is in engineering. God is in managing. And we're called to learn how to steward those things well. We're called to, to have a posture to ask the question, what is the gap between what I don't know and what I know, and how can I fill that? How can I learn? The point of our faith is not to learn ourselves into the kingdom, but to see what God has done for us. And in light of that, we want to steward this mystery well. And again, learning is pivotal for knowing how to steward your life for the glory of God. Let me pray for us. Lord, I just um, praise you for your goodness and your glory that we just can't comprehend fully. Right now we see in part what we'll one day see fully, but even that part that we see, your glory that we see right now, it just does drive us to awe and reverence and asking like, how, what am I to do with this? And Lord, may that fear drive us to a desire to knowledge. May that, may that fear prompt us to ask the question, how can I steward my life for you? Because we see your glory in the cross of Jesus for us. We see your glory displayed in the private life of Jesus suffering and learning obedience and all these things where he would eventually be taken to the cross for us. The most public display of your glory and love. Lord, we see that and it prompts us to shape our private lives for you, for your good, for your glory, and for the good of others. Lord, just give us wisdom. Give us soft hearts to have a learning posture. I just plead. Lord, we're so divinely chosen, so humanly inadequate, and that's a dichotomy that we can't understand fully right now. We just praise you for that and just let it drive our lives. In your holy name, amen.